What a world we live in, right? Sometimes it's a great world we live in, and sometimes, well, it's just a world we live in. And we make it through. And sometimes in my work with those with addiction, we, we talk about uh, one day at a time and how uh, sometimes that's true. And then a lot of times I will remark back, sometimes it's hour by hour. I can't think about what, let's see, what time is it? So 10, I can't think about what 11 o'clock hour has in store yet. I'm still concerned about the 10 o'clock hour. I can't think necessarily about tomorrow when I have yet a lot to do today. And Jesus said, every day has enough troubles of its own, did you not? And that's why he said, don't worry about tomorrow. In part because there's so much today. And I think you and I can relate. Some of us have a whole lot more trouble today than we will tomorrow than in others of you. Some of our troubles are heavier and deeper than what we would like. Hence why we're trying to learn about what causes suffering and how we can cope with suffering and the evil of the world around us. Jesus did say, in this world we'll have trouble. We'll get to the last half of that in a little while. But what, how can we understand the trouble, the suffering, the pain that we are experiencing today? Last week, as a quick review, we talked about how sin causes suffering. That because of sin within Adam and Eve, and you and I sin, we have pain and suffering. And that's kind of a given at times. Humans do awful things to other human beings. Sin. We do awful things to ourselves that can be classified as sin. But see, if we take this line of thinking and says all pain is because of sin, we miss the mark biblically. There, the, the ancient world of the Old Testament, and to some extent the world of today, say this. If you have pain, you must have done something wrong. We call it karma. The problem with karma is the Bible doesn't teach it. Because you don't always get what you deserve. The evil do not always on earth get what they deserve. Yes, though we admitted that even if Joyce is the best of the best of our church, good argument be made there, she is not good by her own standards. But it doesn't mean that her eye issue is the fact that she did something wrong this last week. Yes, to some extent we can say sin is the reason because of the consequences of sin. But I hear a lot of times we as Christians say, well, it's just karma. Let us be careful. Because that is deducing someone's pain to say they messed up. And we do this in a lot of areas, but one of the main areas we do this that is a pet peeve of mine is in the area of mental health. You have anxiety, it must be your fault. You have depression, just pray about it some more. That's not always the case. Just like for those of you who are diabetic, we can't say that if you just pray about your diabetes, it would go away. There's interventions for that. Are there things you can do to help? Absolutely. 
Is diabetes just a human choice? Not necessarily. I think in particular of childhood diabetes, it is just something wrong with the world. That's it. Same goes with mental and emotional issues, and sometimes it is just that easy. See, the Old Testament had this belief that if you did right things, God would always bless you. And if you did something wrong, that blessing would be taken away. So how would you know this? Well, let's pick on Cooper this morning, uh, because it's going to be an easy target. All right, you guys are two and two or three and one? Three and two. Oops. Close. All right. The first three games, you went undefeated, right? First three. You must have done something right all of those weeks. All right? Now, what sin did you cause this week to lose? Do what? Ah, so it is all your fault. No one else's fault, just your fault that you lost to Korea. It happens. game, right? Now, would that be fair for me to put the blame strictly on him? He, you're right. You did not prepare enough, and it's always your fault. It wouldn't be fair, would it? There was a whole lot more going on, right? Can we see that maybe there was some lack of preparation from the team? Maybe. Did you have any injuries? A few. They weren't 100%. You know, things happen. I mean, that would be like to say uh, for Dan when he was coaching and Paul when he coaches, every loss is strictly his fault because he did something wrong that week. Maybe totally not, not basketball related, but he must have done something wrong because they lost. You know, I, I'm making a joke of this, but a lot of times if we're not careful in our biblical sense of justice, we get very close to this idea of karma. That if something bad has happened to you, you must have sinned. Yet, if you will open up the pages of Job with me, you will see that's not the case. Because the Bible holds God's justice in line with God's grace. See, God is perfectly just, but he's not just perfect just. He's perfect in all his characteristics together. He's perfectly loving, but he's not only perfect in love. He's perfectly gracious, but not only perfectly gracious. And so we come to this very interesting book that sometimes, I will be honest, may leave you going, you just made things worse. And in this moment, when we look at Job, we must remember God's wisdom. Especially in suffering, we must remember God is perfectly wise. He is perfectly wise in all his dealings. He is wisdom itself. So we come to this passage, and we read uh, here in the very beginning, and I'm just going to highlight a couple verses this morning from these two chapters as we go through. In the land of Uz, we don't know where that is, there lived, there lived a man whose name was Job. His man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil important characteristic, because see, even the nation of Israel, the idea of if you did something wrong, you messed up, was there. But in the ancient world, if something bad happened to you, you ticked off a of God somewhere. 
And you had to appease that God. But Job is setting us up that this isn't the case per se. He's upright. He is, uh, he is fearing God. He is seen as good in the eyes of God and man. In fact, he goes to the point that at any point in time when his kids get together, he thinks they may have said something that isn't true about God. Maybe they, they took on this idea that look at what we have done for ourselves instead of look what God has done for us. He offers a sacrifice. Verses 5, the end of 5. This was Job's regular custom. And one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And, and I don't like the translation Satan that most of our uh, passages have. I like just a generic, the challenger. Because there's really, I don't want to say there's debate, but there's debate. And there's a good chance we're not talking about the accuser, Satan himself, but just someone challenging who God is. And the necessary report came, and, and God has a conversation, where have you come from? And the challenger says, roaming from throughout the earth, going back and forth. And the Lord said to the person, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Notice even God says, this is a good person. And so the challenge comes to God. says, does, does Job fear you for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him, his household, and everything he has? You've blessed him. But now stretch out your hands and strike everything he has, and surely... He will curse you to your face. The Lord says, very well, don't touch him, but everything else is at your hands. And so he goes out. One day, it happens. Disaster, tragedy, pain, suffering upon suffering, entails. In all this, though, we read, in verse 20 of this, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, I feel the morning, so, you know, not to pick on Dell too much, but we're already there. You know, he and I, we, we're ready for that. We don't have to shave much. You know, this is the customary way of mourning and grieving. And he fell down and he blessed the Lord, saying, Naked I came into this world, naked I will depart. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And all this Job did not sin. So we get to the second chapter and a similar thing. What is the challenge, though? What, what is going on? The challenge is God is on trial in the book of Job. As he's on trial when you and I suffer. Is God just? Is God fair? Does God always just give blessings upon blessings? And what we see in this is sometimes, we see this main point, sin is not the only cause of suffering. And that's what Job will say. And we're seeing this in chapter 1 and 2. Job didn't sin and therefore deserved any of this. Job was blameless and upright. Sometimes your pain is not because you did something wrong. Unfortunately, sometimes the suffering may be caused by the supernatural. Now, you and I read Job 1 and 2. Guess what? 
Job never did. He never had that. All they had was right in front of us. And guess what? When we're in our pain and suffering, we don't always get to see behind the curtain. We don't always get to see what's going on behind there. Because to be honest with you, it may not help. Because because we know behind the scenes, you know, you know, one of the things that I realized this week and, and this day is sometimes it is our blessing that is the cause of our suffering. God had blessed Job, and God had pronounced the blessing, and the challenge was, because you blessed him, he worships you. And God's going, okay, well, let's see if Job's faith, if you and I's faith, can handle the fact, well, they bless me when the blessing is not there. See, this is where sometimes I don't want to be on the forefront of God's mind. Job's on the forefront. Okay? And you go, well, how is that possible? Remember, God's wisdom. God's wisdom is beyond our wisdom. I have not a clue what God is doing. We, we read from Deuteronomy 29 last week, where the secret things belong to the God, belong to the Lord. But the things he revealed by his word and spirit belong to us. I don't get this. But there is something there because he was blessed. He became a target. Maybe we need to see that sometimes we feel our pain and suffering just because we've had it. Our prosperity leaves us more uh, aware of the blessings when they're taken away. And we suffer, we feel pain. It's true in this week, and I'm sure I'll say it a couple times, but, but we, we mourn this week, we hurt this week because we were loved these years. Our pain is to some extent tied to the love we have experienced. Does that help? Not always. But it does help sooner or later, maybe. Our blessings can be the cause of our suffering. The question that I think is being asked here is, is a faith that has never tried really faith? Did Job really have a faith when everything was going well? See, the old Near Eastern world, the world of the Israelites, it was this idea that you knew God was on your side because you had a blessing of kids and stuff and everything was going right. But the question would be is, can you trust when things aren't going right? Is God worthy? Really is the question. Is God worthy to be trusted even if he doesn't do the blessings. Can God be trusted? In our pain, we ask questions like why? A valid question. But underneath that, whether we know it or not, is this idea of can God be trusted? And that question a lot of times can only be answered in pain. In trials, 
and unfortunately suffer. It's easy to trust when everything is fine. But when things are hard, when the anxiety kicks up an extra notch that you just didn't think was possible, when the sadness and the depression takes you down a dark, dark hole into a cave of the unknown, the answer to the question, why is it important as much as who can I trust is important. And what do we get? What is the answer of Job to some extent? Where can we learn maybe from this? Look at Job 2.10. His wife, bless her. Are you still maintaining your integrity? I mean, he's now inflicted with physical issues. Are you still maintaining your character and integrity? Just curse God and die. Get over it. At least you better never say that to me, otherwise I won't be cursed with God. I'll say that much. <laughs> All right? No, but, but we can be very upset about that, but the world she lived in was Obviously, if you just curse God and get this all over with, maybe I don't have to suffer too. If you just go back and you have messed up, and if you curse God, he will finally smite you in his justice, and maybe things will go back. It's very similar to what in the story of Jonah the sailors did. Let's just throw him over, he's at fault, and all things will go well. Interesting enough, when Jonah was thrown over, all things ended up well for the sailors, not for Jonah. It's not irrational. It's not illogical. It's not uncommon in that world. I wonder how we say similar things and what those may be in this. But Job replies, and men, don't ever quote this verse to your wives or, or your significant others. It's not going to go well, okay? Straight up, boys. Girls, no, don't say this. You don't get to say, you are talking like a foolish woman. I probably know no man who's ever said that to their spouse and loved one and lived to tell about it. All right? You're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble from God? Job proclaims that even here God can be trusted. Now, I realize these aren't his exact words. I realize that may not be exactly what he's saying, but he's saying, look, if I can praise God with the good, then maybe he's worthy to be praised when it's not good. Maybe God is great. Can you trust God in your pain? That's a difficult question. The answer probably is depends. Depends on the day. Depends on the moment. And depends on which pain. The rest of Job is a long type of God trying to wrestle with can God. Job trying to wrestle with, can God be trusted with my pain? And actually, part of the point of Job is to, to, to not put Job on trial, but answer the question, can God 
be trusted with pain and suffering? And the answer is, sometimes we're not sure how to answer that. Job never curses God. He's never reproached by God other than the fact he talked without wisdom. But he was never said anything he said was overtly wrong. His friends, on the other hand, were criticized, were said, basically, let Job pray for you and I'll listen to his prayers. Though his friends didn't do anything that wouldn't have been uncommon and uncustomary of the day. So what can you and I do? One, for those of us who are maybe not are not experiencing the pain uh, very much right now, our task is to notice first the pain and suffering of others. This is where Job's friends got it right. Job 2, uh, 12, well, 11 through 13. Job's three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him. They set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. Isn't that a wonderful thing? When someone comes alongside you, when someone says, I don't know where this journey is going, but I'll walk with you in this, and so when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him, and they began to weep aloud. They tore their robes. They sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. My task, your task, in the moments when we experience the suffering of others in this world is to keep our mouths shut and just notice and sit. And can I tell you, that stinks. We want to quickly get past that to speak. But if we miss this portion, if we miss this part of pain and suffering, we do God an injustice. We do the gospel an injustice as we go quickly to, well, here may be the answer. The reality is, Job says, there may be lots of answers. You just don't know. But if I can sit with you, then things happen. We have an old saying in our world. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I wonder how sometimes we as the church, we as Christians have skipped to the hope of the gospel. We ought to get there but we skip sitting with somebody in their pain and in their misery, and we don't even notice how much it hurts. Isn't that maybe the brilliance of what Jesus did? He didn't just come and all of a sudden skip to the resurrection. He came and he, he dealt with our pain. He dealt with the suffering. There's two occasions at least where it seems to indicate that Jesus cried. One is as he looked over Jerusalem and he wept and he said, How I want to gather you like a mother hen gathers people. He said he saw the pain and the suffering. 
The other was at his dear friend Lazarus' death, where maybe the easiest words to memorize, Jesus wept. He sat there. He didn't skim over the pain and the suffering of others. Next week we'll look at John 9 where he's confronted with this question. Why do people suffer? And he gives us a path forward. Maybe. But you and I need to remember that we are called to incarnate our world and sit in the muck and the pain and the suffering of this world so that others will be willing to hear what the Lord has to say. So don't skip over noticing the pain and the suffering. Don't stop there. However, do it with our hope in mind. Our Redeemer lives. Job, in a couple pages on, is going to say these words. I don't think he recognized exactly what he was saying, as most of us don't. He uttered maybe words that uh, he, he had an idea, but he didn't know what we know. He says this, I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end, he, the Redeemer, will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I don't think he had an inkling of knowing exactly the depth of what he was saying. Just like many of the prophets had not an inkling of the fact that prophecy was more than just what they prophesied at the time. But he makes boldly the proclaim that is our hope to say, our Redeemer lives. And this is why the Gaithers says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, I can move forward. Where does your hope come from? See, your hope isn't revealed in times of blessing. And, and prosperity. Your hope is revealed when all that fades away. Where is your hope? The, the question that is kind of asked, will people just follow God because of the good things he provides or will they follow God because of who God is? And that's what you and I have to answer. We must realize where our hope is. And here's the truth. In the end, we will see God. Our Redeemer lives. Christ lives. And in the end, regardless of how bad this world gets, in this world a lot of trouble, Jesus said, but take heart, I've overcome the world. We will see Christ face to face, flesh to flesh, heart to heart. The question is, will we put our hope in him now instead of just that day? See, salvation isn't just about getting into heaven one day. Salvation is about making a difference today. With our hope in Christ, we can face tomorrow. I don't know what tomorrow has in store for you. For those of you in pain, I hope tomorrow may be just a little bit better than what is going on today. I hope that tomorrow, for some of you that life is good, that it's not that bad tomorrow. 
But for those of you who are experiencing the blessings of God, wonderful. Let this be a reminder that you need to understand the character of God and not just the gifts of God. That it isn't just serving God because of what he can do for you, but serving God because he is God. Because in the end, God shows up in the book of Judges. And what does he tell Job? He never answers the question, why? All he does is to ask things like this. Do you have an arm like God? And can your voice thunder like his? Can you tell the seas when to stop? Can you tell the beasts when to swim? Can you do this? Can you bring up forth the produce from the ground? Can you put a cord through the Leviathan's nose? Can you make a pet of the wildest beast like a bird? He never answers the question, but he says, look at who I am. I'm not just a God of justice, though I am a God of justice. I am more than just justice. I am a God of love. I am a God that has wisdom beyond this world. I am a God who created those things so I could do something if I so chose in your suffering, Lord. And our response may be the same thing that Job says. I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. And we remember that God is God. And I am not. You are not. That God is a God of love. A God of justice. A God of grace. So wherever you are, God's character can sustain you. God's salvation can sustain you. Is your hope in the Redeemer that lives? Or is your hope in something else? Someone else? Because in the end, you and I will still up. And the question isn't, what did you do? Or where, what, what, how much did you have? Question will be, what have you done with my Lord? What have you done with the Lord, the Savior, the King of Kings, and Lord of Lords? The beauty is, after all this, as if to make it clear, the Lord does even more greater things on the back end than he did on the prophet Philip. Blessing greater than greater. And you know, as I look at the fullness of Scripture, my pain and suffering, the pain and suffering that some of you are in this day, God will redeem it. And there'll be something greater on the back end. Maybe not here. I cannot promise you that. But I can promise you that in glory, there is always day, never night. There is always the presence of the Lord. Never darkness that is incontrollable. 
There is no depression. There is no anxiety. There is a joyful presence of the Lord who says, I am your God and you are mine. That is our hope this day. Father, God, we thank you for this time. Lord, may we do what we can to ease the pain and suffering of others by first realizing they are in pain and suffering. By not just quickly going to the solution, but sitting right there. And Lord, as we sit there with somebody, as we travel the journey, there will be times when the door will open where we can say, hey, there's someone else walking this path with us. His name is Jesus. Hey, there's someone else who has suffered. And his name is Jesus. Hey, there's someone else that can redeem this some way. I don't know how. His name is Jesus. There's someone that is greater than all. And his name is Jesus. So we point people to the place where pain and evil suffering is our greatest display. The place of the cross. And so Lord, I just ask that you would help us to be people of hope. Not just in good times, but in bad times. Not just when things are going well, but when we have no words to say, we just sit in sackcloth and ashes, in mourning, in pain, and in grief. And we pray prayers that we've learned, like, how long, O Lord? When, O Lord, will it happen? But in those moments, may we realize that your heart is still there. You have not abandoned us. You have not forsaken us, and you are still God. And so we will make a deliberate choice to trust, even when we can't see, even when you are silent, even when our bodies may say no, we will say, I will trust the Lord, for I know my Redeemer lives. And in the end, he will stand as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We thank you for that, and we praise in the name of the Lord, the name of the Redeemer Himself, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.